While we at Chris's on Infinite Earths have undertaken the difficult, nay, Herculean task of discussing crossovers, sometimes even we need some help. While we toil at the minutiae and confusion of jumbled characters and sometimes incomprehensible plots, even we can understand when we are over our heads. How do you discuss the nature of crossovers themselves? The only way. Have a crossover of our own, and on this day, a day that is only kind of different from any other. We have a first. We are joined by comrades, allies, friends. Charlie with the power of teenage angst. Dan with the power of enlightened conversation. Luke with the power of frankly too many universes. And Chris with the power of crossovers. I mean, duh, right? <clears throat> and together... We, we are, are ex-friendship. <laughs> and we are here to talk about um, comics. Talk about comics? Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm Chris Edelman, and this is Chris's On Infinite Earths, the podcast where nothing will ever be the same. This is a first for the podcast, for maybe even the comic book community. Okay, it's, well, there's other been other comic book podcast crossovers. You know, you've probably heard of one of them at least. But this is the first episode in the six-part Acts of Friendship crossover. And I have guests with me today. And um, also, Christy is not here because she is going to be guesting on some other shows. But I just wanted to real briefly introduce our guests. We have Charlie from the Young Ones podcast. Hi, my name is Charlie. Um, I use they, them pronouns. And obviously, Chris just let you know, um, me and my partner, Mikey, host The Young Ones, all about teenage superheroes and why we love them. Yes, you may have also heard of The Guide to Exceptional Baking, a Kickstarter that is currently going. It might not be going by the time this episode goes up, but hopefully you've donated because it's really excellent. And Charlie and Mikey have done a lot of hard work on it. It's super, super rad. Uh, you should check it out. And uh, maybe if you're lucky... I guess. Uh, you might be able to get your hands on a copy even if the Kickstarter isn't going on. Excellent. And then we have Luke from the Multiversal Q podcast. Hello, my name is Luke. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Coltreg. And along with Multiversal Q, your guide to the comic book multiverse, now in podcast form. I also host the actual play podcast Exiled about altering universe superheroes hopping through universes to try and fix them. John Wiki, where my partner and I are going through the John Wick Wikipedia page while I try and explain John Wick to her, a movie she has not seen. And let's let's roll the die. Uh, yes, currently you can go to nerdscenarios.com and find my very secret baby podcast. Uh, it's called Radio Hope and the Reader, and it's super teen angsty about superheroes living in a satellite and being very unhappy with that oh and also use he and him pronouns go back to complimenting me 
<laughs> I was going to say, you are very busy. Before I get too much further, um, I think readers to the show probably know, know that I use he, him pronouns, but there's probably going to be a lot of people listening to this, maybe for the first time. Um, so yeah, me, Chris, I use he, him pronouns. But before we get too much further, let's talk with uh, Dan, Dan from the WMQ&A podcast. Uh, yep, that's correct. Dan Grote, he, him pronouns. And I run WMQComics.com, which is a uh, startup comics news site. And in tandem with that, I host a weekly interview podcast called WMQ&A, where me and more often than not, my co-host Matt Lazowitz, we talk to different creators and also other comics journalists, uh, fans, friends of ours, etc. Which means we have, frankly, I think too much talent for one podcast, and I'm already feeling a little bit intimidated. Oh, hush your uh, mouth. <laughs> that's why so, uh, i have three podcasts <laughs> <laughs> so today we are going to be talking about comic crossovers which is pretty much what i always talk about on this podcast but i thought we'd kind of get we kind of get a little meta with it in which we would talk about sort of what we think about crossovers and what makes them good and what makes a lot of them really not good I and mean, what sort of makes comics I feel like revolve around them at this point. They seem to be like the sun or the black hole that a bunch of other superhero comics tend to swirl around one thing or the other. They're kind of like the, the wrestling pay-per-view of comic books. So I figured we would just kind of go around. I would maybe start a few discussion questions and then we'd kind of get into it. So I figured I would ask, for example, Dan, Dan, what makes some crossovers good? Like when a good crossover is good, why is it good? I'm a sucker for that moment in a crossover or an event where everybody comes together to fight as one. Uh, you know, and it works across media. You know, I loved it in Independence Day. I loved it in Final Fantasy IV. And I love it especially in superhero comics and movies. You know, they're... they're you know, another thing is like there are so many great opportunities for character interactions that you don't get to see every month in, in you know, the regular floppies that aren't tie-ins. You know, amid this larger swell of just all these characters you love making a last gas bid to save, you know, whatever the stakes are. Usually pretty high, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> it's always interesting when crossover stakes aren't that high. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it happens, you know, sometimes, sometimes, and not all the time, and I would argue not most of the time, there are there are smaller stakes, but what what's the fun in that? Yeah. It's like, if, if we're not saving the universe, I'm not getting out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that could work for certain superheroes, too. <laughs> Charlie, did you have anything to add? Well, as kind of Dan mentioned just now, I love when characters come together, but my favorite comic book moments are... Aside from like really quiet things, because it's like one half of me, but I love a good last page reveal. Like, that is like my favorite comic book thing ever. When you turn the page and you see a character you haven't seen for so long and they just show up out of the blue. Um, we get that a lot in crossovers because they kind of hinge on like Deus Ex Machina a lot. And a lot of times those are like super OP characters that just show up to save the day. But I, I, I know it's cliche, but I, I love that. And I just really enjoy like kind of mingling universes because sometimes and as of late, really, for a while, crossovers kind of get to explore they, they kind of like dip their toes into like AUs and like what ifs. And like sometimes we get to live those for like 10 issues and sometimes they're good sometimes maybe not so much but i like kind of veering off into directions 
we wouldn't normally go, and that's something you can do in a crossover. I, you guys are giving really excellent answers. <laughs> Luke, how do you feel about good crossovers? What makes a crossover good? I love when a crossover is like a car. You see where it's going for the main part, and you know some cars are like very neat and sleek and sporty. Some of them are more like vans. And you got the overall construct, you know what they're there for, you know that they're going to move some things around, but when you can go into that car and see the way that everything is working inside of it, and you have all these components that you don't need to know, like, exactly how they work, but you can get into them. Like, when crossovers are, like, uh, Spider-Verse, for example, and, like, every different team or book has something that adds to the whole that you don't necessarily need to know about... That is that comic that I love, and especially when it's so big and ranging that you do get to bring in a lot of characters you don't expect to see, or you do get to put together things that normally would not work. Luke, I like this vehicle analogy, and I'm wondering what make and model you would put, uh, let's say, Civil War II as. (laughs) Uh, A Hummer? (laughs) <laughs> and not like even one of the ones that we've gotten in the past decade. I'm talking about the first ones where you're lucky to get like five miles a gallon. And it was weirdly like very responsive to stuff that happened a while ago. But you have no idea why they're pulling it out. Uh, when you see the like white lady who's leading everything, you're going to get really angry at them. And you can kind of understand why they tried to make it. And, like, where this whole idea of, oh, I need something to protect me, I need something strong to defend me. Like, I get that much, but, uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a Hummer. It's that first Hummer. That was a really, that was really good. That was perfect. <laughs> Luke, king of analogies. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. That'll show the Iraqis. Jeez. <laughs> oh, oh, God. What I really like about crossovers is just kind of like them at their really base primal level is when I first started to get into comics, Secret Invasion was coming out. And I was like, the first issue of Secret Invasion to me was really excellent. It kind of just went downhill, I feel like, later. But I was just like, man, there's all these heroes and they're all jammed together. And how are they going to figure this one out? And I just wanted to see it. Because I was still getting used to the idea of, like, an entire universe of comic book heroes. And the fact that I could just see all of them at once was really, really cool. I know that that's not a particularly brainy way to say it. But that's, like, that's my deal. When I'm, like, when crossovers are good, when they have, like, some good jam-packed heroes. When we get to, like, see a little bit of all of them. Granted, uh, my favorite crossover is one where um, everybody's jam-packed in. And they don't near and they do not get enough screen time. (laughs) But it's still pretty good. I mean, I think that's what, um, I think that's what they deliver constantly, is that, oh, everybody's here and fighting, like, and, you know, you can decry it all you want, but the truth of the matter is, is everybody loves that. <laughs> everybody loves it, and there's a way that you can do it where you, you've only got a few characters for focus, and everyone else is just getting shoehorned in there without any reason. I mean, there's, like, at the end of Civil War, where you had the big fight with all the scrolls in Washington, D.C. versus all the superheroes, and it's like, all right, but we 
this isn't really contributing to a narrative. And then I think to like Final Crisis, where you have that scene where like a backup contention of superheroes show up. And it's really weird because it's like Frankenstein and like Wildcat. And they're riding in the metalmen who have turned into cars. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a two page splash because it's like, of course, nobody would have gotten these people because it's like striking at the world on different levels. Right. Man, Frankenstein is in that crossover a lot <laughs> like more than more than one would expect frankenstein <laughs> yeah in the agents of shade man dc D- what is <laughs> what is <laughs> i know i'm still dc still a little <laughs> impenetrable to me <laughs> even though my favorite crossover is a dc crossover i think maybe that's partially why and maybe that could lead into a little bit of what crossovers do that's bad but to some extent, a little bit of what I love about crossovers is what I love about comics in general, and especially what I loved about comics when I got into them when I was a kid. You you didn't feel like you were ever going to know everything. Like, the whole story just seemed like you you were just, like, in for a small part of it, and you were never going to know it all, and you were never going to understand everything. And sometimes when you get a crossover, characters just pop up and you're like, I don't know who this is, but let's just see what their deal is. This happened a ton in Crisis on Infinite Earths. You're just like, there's Amethyst, the the jewel princess. Of, uh, okay. Princess of Gem World. The princess of Gem World, <laughs> yes. And there's <laughs> Jim, the guy who nobody remembers. J-E-M-M. <laughs> D- yeah, DC's a bunch. So we can, even on my show that is um, well known for be- for beloved crossovers, we can maybe we can maybe kind of poo poo them a little bit. So I think I'm going to start and talk about what makes crossovers absolutely terrible, and that is the fact that oftentimes they derail stories that were doing just fine on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's the big one, right? It's because comics are structured the way they are and you know the solicits are the way they are like we know about a crossover coming like four months like what is it it's a uh, uh right now it's october but we know what's happening in january true right so we know Conan's coming back <laughs> so in january we know that after x-men uncanny x-men disassembled that's sure thing that harkens back to another event we know that the age of x-man is commencing after that we do we don't know anything x-man alert this is x-man alert maybe not an update but we know we know telling zach you're stealing his bit i'm here representing his bit wait 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 i'll i'll fix it i'll fix it boop 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 Nate Gray alert. <laughs> oh, man. But, but we Just know. like a crossover, we have bits that other people might not get unless they <laughs> listen to other crossovers. You guys well, listen to Battle of the Atom. It's very good. Yes, Oh, yeah. It's, it is a member of this, <laughs> this crossover. You should definitely listen to it. Especially but, the episode that I'm on. <laughs> and same. But, you know, we know that that's happening. But, like... You know, in the and that's kind of a different animal altogether because you know the lines being shuffled around, and I think that's what crossovers try and do a lot of the time is is shuffle things around. Because one other thing about the crossovers that makes them like kind of just bad is whatever happens, 
we know at some point it's just going to be reset. Whatever crazy thing that happens, you know, three or four months later, I mean, sometimes not even, it's just going to be reset. Like, the only thing I can think about that's maybe stuck around longer than I anticipated, which I think is about to probably turn itself back around again, is uh, Sabretooth's been, like, a good guy since Axis is over. Um, mm. And I have, I feel it in my bones, Weapon X ends. I think Sabretooth goes back to uh, his his status quo. So, you know, eventually that stuff does happen. Or what if we get the Waluigi of Sabretooth? Is, is Sabretooth to Wolverine what Wario is to Mario? I think you know. I, I think I think if does Wario try to kill Mario every year on his birthday? No, we 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 don't know. <laughs> we don't know that. <laughs> wait, wait. Guys, I'm here for the Waluigi of Sabretooth, whoever that turns out to be. Like, I want that to exist. Well, <laughs> That's well, Wild Child. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Oh yeah. Wait, wait. <laughs> yeah. So then, is Deadpool Luigi? Um, I think we've taken this analogy to its, to its conclusion. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Garrison Kane is one of the toadstools. <laughs> now we've gone that far. Wait, wait, wait. And Cyber is a Goomba. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I, hope you appreciate... I got nothing. I'm letting Luke drop the mic on that one. <laughs> I hope you appreciate all of these very good titles that we're giving you. Well, what... <laughs> I don't like when crossovers, the, one of the big problems with them is like the opposite problem where if, if it's just a miniseries by itself, something might happen at the end of it, but then like the comic you're suddenly reading is affected by it, even if it's not a tie-in and you're like, wait, when the heck did this happen? <laughs> to some extent, they can just sometimes complicate things if you are just interested in like a little thing. Maybe, you know, you are just a Spider-Man fan and you just want to read Amazing Spider-Man from now until the sun burns out but you keep having (laughs) it's someone's dream i'm sure but you keep having like some random stuff where captain america is a fascist now and he's up in your spider-man or deadpool's coming in and you have to buy some deadpool issues and you're like you know what i just want to see peter parker down on his luck and then back up on his luck and then down on his luck again really like this very simplistic view of spider-man this individual you're describing has yeah spider-man it's a simple comic <laughs> mm-hmm. that's there's it. no clones that's it no there's no symbiotes nope but i i like those goopy boys that's why they're getting crossovers now <laughs> true that is uh. true but uh, I think that, you know, that kind of dovetails with, with my point about what I was going to say makes crossovers terrible. You know, obviously the number of times is a factor, but, you know, when it invades kind of those books where maybe it shouldn't, you know, I mentioned uh, Civil War II uh, before, which obviously is, is an easy target for dunking. But, you know, I lost a lot of good titles in that war. Mm. You know, I lost yeah. Deadpool and I lost Ms. Marvel because I just I didn't want to read the tie in. You know, yeah. I, I just I wasn't interested in the main story. Though the best response I saw to that was when I believe it was Contest of Champions instead hit a crossover with Civil War, the first one. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They used the like first generation Civil War like design and everything, and they did a crossover with Civil <laughs> War. But it was a universe where Civil War ended differently. 
But no, I I'm I agree with y'all there. The other thing I hate is comics or when they do the separate crossover that has nothing to do with the main story. Like when Fear Itself came out, like Fear Itself I think was a very good idea because you can do something about fear for everything. But the crossover that they had with Uncanny X-Force was never addressed again, was not the same writer or team on that book, and it was just like, oh, you're just trying to get another four bucks out of me each month for this event. Or when it just doesn't add up to anything. Like I read, um, oh, DC Metal. And it's like, oh, hey, here's going to be this whole series about like a murder maze that's being created by the most dangerous villains in Arkham. And it's like, okay, yeah, that sounds awesome. And then, like not a lot of stuff happened. He just had some characters shifted around and it wasn't as good as it would have been had they had like a more top tier talent writing it. Right. Oh, and that, yeah, that is a lot of the problem is a lot of the like shifty little crossovers where it'll be like fear itself colon just tend to be like really kind of weird and like off tone. The there's very few exceptions to it. And one person who I think continually come out on top has been Al Ewing because like yeah. he's been very good at being like, oh, well, I know it's going to happen. I like pouring stupid Marvel into my characters in a loving and endearing way. And so it was like when he came uh, up against the Secret Wars thing, it's like, oh, yeah, no, we're going to reveal that uh, Angela is uh, Thor and Loki's sister and Heaven is the Tenth Realm. And that's going to be awesome. Or uh, like with Civil War 2, where it's like, oh, yeah, no, S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to try and attack Roberto da Costa's aim. And they're going to use a giant Godzilla. And also there have been sleeper agents that we've been teasing since the beginning. He's he's a guy that um, remembers things, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's really good at just remembering plot points that um, get left behind. And I always admire people that can do that. His um, new Avengers run, like this is kind of near and dear to like, also over with the young ones here, like his new Avengers young run that had, you know, Billy and Teddy in it. He picked up, it's not a crossover, but he picked up young Avengers volume one things mm-hmm. that never got resolved and put them in the book. <laughs> oh yeah. Like the way that he plays with everything. Cause like, I feel like he really does just plan as far in advance as he can see. Like he may have long-term plans but he'll wait to get him. It's not just like, I need to try and build up these things now. He plays such long games, like the way that uh, the Avengers and everything has just built these long arcing storylines between series that cross over for people who he likes and who he cares about and how he brings back old stuff is amazing. Agreed. Al Ewing, you should read more of his work. <laughs> <laughs> just to see more of the plunderer. Yep. We will. Uh, we'll always. We'll always advertise a little Al Ewing on some Acts of Friendship podcasts. I think. Do we? What? If you let's say that uh, the four of us, we have now become the editors in chief, uh, co-editors. Uh, we are forming a collective, and we mm-hmm. edit. We are now editors in chief over Marvel and DC at the same time. What are we going to do to make crossovers better? Amalgam two. Amalgam two. Amalgam two. Amalgam two. Amalgam two. <laughs> <laughs> this time they can criff. 
Like uh, I said, mad with power. Mad, yeah, uh, that's a dangerous prospect, Chris. Um, uh, but in any case, um, make them less frequent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I would do like maybe one a year per company, but maybe not even that many. It should be your. It should be your summer blockbuster, right? Mm. Yeah, I th- I think so. So it should be your summer blockbuster every year. And outside of um the months of maybe like end of May or May through like June, July, that should be your that should be it. And I know publishing doesn't work like that, but <laughs> <laughs> um just ask uh very just ask like very recent crossovers like Civil War 2 and um yeah, wait uh, till like December. <laughs> and uh and Secret Secret Wars, the the most recent Secret Wars. That did um God. It was very cold when that ended. <laughs> yeah, um I, I think it should be like home down to one a year and just make it count, right? I somewhat disagree. Okay. All right. I yeah. like this. Hot take. Yeah. Hot, 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 take alert. <laughs> so I'd rather just have more writers who are going to be on for longer runs who can find natural points where they can make crossovers, they can present them, but it's not going to be a mandatory thing. And you find crossovers that have more emotional impact than a lot of the big punching and oh. Uh, Professor Xavier is going to die again, or Cyclops is going to get a bad haircut, or <laughs> Spider-Man is going to get triple married this time. I'm calling it for 2022. Has he been double married? No. But he's been single married. <laughs> it's going to be Spider-Man, Mary Jane, Black Cat, and... Harry Osborne. No, J. Jonah Jameson Jr. Or John Jameson Jr. John Jameson, John the astronaut. Jameson. Turtle John Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> we've gotten we've gotten very wheel of time on our podcast. <laughs> um to to Luke's point though, you you definitely need that cohesion between the writers handling the many parts of the machine. You know, you can you can do the big story and still have it be self-contained yet impactful. Um, my kind of big recent example, uh, was DC's metal, which on the one hand, yes, could at its worst points be like ultra dense continuity, but still was this, you know, wild, crazy thing. And I think where DC really fell off is they kind of fell into the trap after metal of moving from one big event to the next to the next this year from like, you know, no justice to the witching hour to like, there's an Aquaman thing, I think coming out next, you know, that's, that's too much. Eventually people can't keep up, especially when justice league is double shipping. Yeah. On top of all that. Right. Um, the one thing I really liked about no justice was it was like four issues done. And if you're going to do, give me a crossover, that's the way to do it. Oh yeah. I, I like when you can just be like, Oh, they're going to do a crossover like uh, the Deadpool, Captain America, Wolverine, Good, the Bad, and the Deadpool, I think it was called. Where it was like an issue of Deadpool, an issue of Captain America, an issue of Wolverine. And it was very, very simple and clean. It had its reason why all of them were getting involved. There was an issue of Deadpool where it was actually four issues in one. 
So it was like a self-contained crossover, but that was still two issues of Deadpool, an issue of Luke Cage, and an issue of Daredevil or Iron Fist? I think it was Iron Fist. Yeah, yeah. That one was awesome. <laughs> I'm not, I don't actually remember if it was good or not, but I just remember the execution being really fun and wacky. I feel like sometimes Deadpool is used as like, oh boy. So this is going to, this is, this is going to be a real deep analogy. Oh, oh, hold up, hold up. Uh, it was all in Deadpool. It was not an actual crossover. I was oh. <laughs> uh, Okay. <laughs> Luke was entirely wrong. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So art by Declan Shalvey, but you were saying Chris. <laughs> yes, art by Declan Shalvey. Oh, and it was good. That was good art. Um, I just remember the art. So in um, there's a card game readers called Magic the Gathering that uh, Christy and I play a ton, mm-hmm. and they occasionally do these joke sets, yeah, where the cards are just silly and the mechanics are silly, but it's actually like all a big front for them trying to do something that they think the game can't handle to see if the game can handle it. <laughs> and I feel like this, that is Deadpool oftentimes like they do the, this issues one crossover or like the, you are Deadpool where it's like, this is a role-playing game. So I wonder if Deadpool is like the, the R and D of, of what you can do with a comic book. Oh, it totally. Oh, it totally <laughs> is. It totally, totally is. Deadpool is the Yoshi in, in terms of Nintendo trying things out in video games <laughs> and i i think I, and i think this has just been super like chronic happening like very recently it's like everything just keeps getting pushed back like extermination five issues and out right yeah. well not so much anymore you know that's going to be going on like longer than we we all thought and it's going to be going on past when uncanny x-men number one comes out like yeah, that's, that's a little like that mm, that's like me making a cringing face like and i've really liked extermination so far like i think it's been pretty great as me someone as who's like a giant 90s x-force fan like it's basically ed Brisson, like flexing his muscles and showing me what he's going to do with x-force like when he gets that book and oh, yeah. i'm stoked for it he's really giving you the finger guns the art's really good, too. I, I had a lot of high hopes for Extermination because it seemed like it was going to get over in two months. And I was like, <laughs> that's perfect. And it, it it definitely isn't. And I think you are highlighting an issue with crossovers is sometimes a lot hinges on them and they have delays, but not everything else does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it yeah. like Secret Wars did that where it's we're suddenly in the new universe. And while it didn't spoil anything per se, there's things that you knew, like suddenly there's not really a Fantastic Four and things like that. And that, I think, like, I'm sure that when people read Secret Wars now, if they're getting into comic books, it seems, like, super cool. And you can just start reading the stuff right after Secret Wars when it's done. Or not. A lot of, that was actually I would rather people comics. not actually read the stuff after Secret <laughs> Man, I thought it was going to be really great. I was excited about so much stuff then, but, ugh. It broke the X-Line really hard. It was like Marvel's New 52. Well, what I... I I think that's very rude and very slanderous, but what I would say is Marvel, on some levels, has seemed to be getting better about that. Like, I listened to Jeremy Whitley talk in uh, interviews about Avengers No Surrender, which was like a 10-issue weekly series with him and two other writers, and I was like, yeah, that's a heck of a crossover that they canceled all the Avengers books for to make sure that people knew it was big to make sure that if you're buying all the Avengers titles, you weren't going to be buying more books than you normally would. 
I think that's a great idea. But they also talked about how they were doing it. Editorial had planned on giving them like two months in advance for like every issue to get done. And because it was Mark Wade, Al Ewing, and Jeremy Whitley, they all had it done in advance and only needed like a weekend long delay. And it's like, yeah, if you can get teams that are able to do that and are able to work together that well, that's amazing. But I don't think a lot of people are made to work that way, especially in comics, because I, I feel like there's on a level this sort of toxicity where it's like, oh, I finally get my hands on the toy box. I want to play with all these. Uh, you want to you want to borrow my Spider-Man? Uh, OK, but you can't do anything with them. And yeah. so at the same time, it means that the only characters who you can do things with are like characters who editorial is going to be like, you know, he doesn't have a movie coming out, so I guess he can be Rick now. <laughs> right it's kind of the the anti jack kirby when he came to dc and they said he could have whatever book he wanted so he took the book with the rotating writers so nobody was out of a job it's that, like the opposite of that i love that story though it's uh not true <laughs> is it not true it is not true it is an apocryphal story oh boy so why did he take jimmy olsen then because he wanted to write jimmy olsen there's also the story where it's like give me your lowest selling book and i'll take over it but from what I understand, he just wanted to write Jimmy Olsen because it would get him to write Superman and he wanted to tell his own stuff. Hmm. Oh. See, I knew that the, the Give Me Your Lowest Selling Title one was apocryphal. I didn't know that the other one was. Learning new stuff all the time. Yeah. Dang. Man. <laughs> Chris's worldview is now shattered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jack. Hey, he's Irving. still the king. Yeah, he's still the king. <laughs> that's, that's very true. That's very it's true. okay, sport. <laughs> now, 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 you know what a great Kirby story is, though? When he returned to Marvel, the first book that he wrote was, What If the Marvel Bullpen Became the Fantastic Four? He wrote <laughs> and drew it. Which is great because it's him writing Stan Lee. <laughs> right, which we he'd already done. Mm-hmm. I, th- I like our I like our fantasy booking. What are some tropes of crossovers that you guys are always like 100% in, like even if it's a guilty pleasure? And what are some where you're eye rolling? For example, with me, I'm always in on time travel. It's it's like candy to me. Um, <laughs> that's what made Extermination so great. Uh, when a certain character shows up and it's very clear that there's time travel shenanigans, I was like practically reaching for my popcorn, just going, um, yep, 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 yep. Uh huh. I will continue to read this. I love what's happening in Infinity Wars right now. Um, I love the Infinity Warps idea. Like, I love smashing things together and like making something new. Um, like, I love that crossovers can do that. I think that, uh, some of the, I think some of the Infinity Warps are really inspired. I think other ones could have been done better. Like, if you're gonna smash together Emma Frost and Wolverine, why aren't you putting that man in some lingerie? What is wrong with you? But, aside from that, um, I love that kind of stuff. I always love when we can delve into, like, what-ifs and AUs. I love that stuff anyway. But... I think I really like that kind of um, let's visit this new place or, you know, just kind of like House of M or even or Age of Apocalypse. Here's this new setting. One person knows what the hell's going on. What what are you going to do? You know, how, how are we going to make it out of this one? Like, that's the kind of stuff that I always eat up. I like time travel, too. 
but sometimes it can be like again <laughs> see for me i'm 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 such a dupe to it every time like i'll just be in the middle of this crossover going okay whatever cool <gasps> is that an alternate future Jean gray <laughs> yeah no i mean you're not wrong says the person who's writing a comic about future selves right now um but you know that is what it, that that is what it is <laughs> I, i'm with you uh in terms of like the i love the alternate universes i love the time travel stuff i mean i'm looking at my bookshelf and it's like oh i do have the entire dc 1 million like massive book uh just imagine the stan lee one and a lot of other things that i'd hate to have to explain I've had to explain my podcast to my dad, and I still don't think he gets it. But, like, mm-hmm. that whole what-if uh, shebang is what I'm in for. But I think it needs to be done with an understanding of what they're putting together. And it always works better if they have a world that is actually functional and has some style along, or has some substance along with the style. Because it's like, oh, yeah, we can do a world where everybody is robots. Eh, but if you're going to make it the focus of an entire universe there needs to be sense behind it i'm not a big fan of house of m the main storyline but a lot of the world building that happened when it actually made sense in the like mini series and stuff was really great and i liked a lot of the stuff that they had in secret wars where it's like oh yeah here's what it would be like living in this world where x is happening mm-hmm. And that one's like living in like 15 different mini worlds. Mm-hmm. Oh, those Secret Wars, Battle World minis were so good. The majority of them. I have, I'm very salty over one. Uh, I won't speak of it unless I won't speak of it. Let's not speak of it. <laughs> Dan, give me, give me those, give me those tropes. Give me your, your crossover candy, your delicious s'mores of crossover goodness. <laughs> sure thing well you know i, I think i kind of mentioned this you know under the first question but you know i again i love a good team up i just like taking taking the toys and and mashing them together you know um i'm trying to think of a good example that we haven't already talked about maximum carnage now this was it was spider-man and it was all you know it was just, it kind of stayed self-contained in the spidey books but they teamed him up with like iron fist and captain america and Deathlock. And, you know, it was like the League of Extraordinary Who is Lying Around. <laughs> you know, I'm stealing and, that for a comic book idea. <laughs> um, so so that that's that's my jam. And, you know, I'll get to that a little bit more when we kind of talk about our, our individual faves. As far as the thing that I could probably take or leave, I would go with your senseless violent deaths. You know, there's a difference between heroic sacrifice, which is good and makes you sad and stuff. And you have that emotional reaction. And then there's Sue Dibney, an identity crisis, Uh, you know, where she's, you know, uh, horrifically destroyed by a silver, you know, a hither, you know, uh, a previously just silver age goofball villain. You know, that's the stuff that maybe, you know, don't overdo it. (laughs) I think really violent crossovers in general can miss me. Like, because I... I feel like above all else, those need to have some universal appeal. Because, like, the point of them is for people to read them who don't necessarily, I feel like, get into comics. Like, Civil War still sells gangbusters Mm -hmm. every year, right? It's a simple idea that you can say, oh, it's Captain America versus Iron Man over the idea of superheroes registering, and you got it. 
So yeah. I don't I don't need to see someone like torn in half or anything. <laughs> no. And and here's and, and for me that kind of like that is really, you know, dark things like most like dark no light at the end of the tunnel stuff can just miss me all the time. Axis, no thank you. Um <laughs> Fair. um in any way shape or form. Um, um what about that Loki stuff though? <sighs> Luke <laughs> <laughs> um, like, now you've done it now you've done it but as a as a lover of the c and d listers like especially mutants crossovers are anxiety inducing for me because they go right yeah like, they're the first ones that go unless they have a role in the book and then sometimes you don't even know like whether or not they're, <laughs> they're gonna make it through you know that's kind of you know i, I don't think you need to show that i don't know i think everybody should be living their life you don't need to like drag some poor unsuspecting mutant into into any of this we shouldn't have to worry about glob herman every other month or i boy but sometimes he can get ignored yeah or or trevor or like all the kids right um because you know house of m certainly did a number on those kids um at after that event was over and i'll talk about that when i talk about it but i i I don't need to worry about them like i I don't need to like worry about who's gonna make it out of this like and i think a lot of crossovers now are you know let's let's bang the drums of of you know oh who's gonna die now like that's what they a lot of like their advertising hinges on right like let's scare you first and we'll have fun later and i don't like that that was basically what the advanced press was for heroes in crisis it was like some people gonna die you don't know who though is it your favorite it could be your favorite it was a lot of people's favorite uh yeah i read that first issue and was like nah and and like right and like an a-lister will always come back people are like well people never die never stay dead in superhero comics if you're a d-list x-men you're staying dead in superhero yeah. comics and that just really sucks the air out of the room until you that. wait 20 years and someone else who grew up loving them brings it back that's very true <laughs> unless you're john proud star <laughs> yeah but his his brother's way better than he is so it's fine truth yeah that's also fair uh yeah ask our ask friend of friend of our show and uh definitely friend of the young ones um everett christensen who definitely loves Generation X more than anything else, and uh, so many of those kids are gone. Skin, Sink, yeah. everyone else. Mondo. Yeah. Mondo. Uh, yeah. <sighs> and uh, Paige, is, Paige has had some disservices done to her. Well, uh, slightly. And M. <laughs> and M. Yeah. Well, so I, th- th- I feel like we we uh, maybe answered all- the next uh, discussion question that I had come up with, which was wacky crossovers versus the serious kind. Like, we will always take, uh, at least I will always take some good, good amalgam over, like, some... I'm trying to think of, like, a really, really dark crossover. Oh, cool. In Like, you know, identity crisis. Like, no, no question. Will I always take Super Soldier and Spider-Boy? <laughs> over that <laughs> shatter starfire shatter starfire very good i have let's, that let's redo that one <laughs> <laughs> i have that floppy sitting on my um on my bureau right now it is uh 
those are two characters that until you research one see i'm not a dc person right uh -huh. so uh when i started learning about starfire i'm like these are two characters that are surprisingly alike no wonder why they did this <laughs> you wonder like what came first did they think like this name this is the best <laughs> or like these characters they're pretty similar oh that name <laughs> So whenever people talk about Amalgam, because I love Amalgam, they always... Yeah, you pretty much yelled time, it before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> most of the time, they know that, like, they've heard of, about the stuff that came after, because there's All Access, which is hot garbage. It, like... <laughs> like, it is garbage Amalgams, because you get the X-Men and the Justice League thrown together, and it does not make sense. Like, it's bad mashups. But then you get into Unlimited Access... Which is like Carl Kiesel on the writing. That's where you get the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants merged with the gods, uh, or with the like evil new gods from Apocalypse. Weird. You get Electric Superman merged together with Thor. Jean Grey gets merged with Black Canary to make Jean Black. Oh boy. Captain Marvel Jr. gets merged with Captain America, so he's Captain America Jr., who has the power of all the American presidents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought you said that was bad. No, no, it is unlimited access is it's amazing. It's a delight. No, Sounds like no, a delight. All access does not even name their amalgams. Like you get Bishop merged with Superman because both of them were around. But then unlimited access also goes and makes important continuity points because you find out that because amalgam was travel or because uh, access was traveling with the Legion of Superheroes through time. It led to Magneto getting crippled in the days of future past. Oh, <laughs> time ripples across the universe. Well, what about like I don't I don't read a ton of these. In fact, they are generally not my not my cup of tea. But do any of you like the crossovers where they like they go like really wild, like the Batman and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or the Looney Tunes DC stuff? Uh, I've read a couple of the, the DC Looney Tunes ones. You know, I think uh, obviously Batman Elmer Fudd is kind of like the high watermark. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that they that they all stack up, but they're definitely a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be the naysayer again, because I, I bought that first collection of the first one. And it's like, yeah, the Batman DC one is good. But then there's also a lot of them where... Not only is it a single issue telling the same story twice, like the Bugs Bunny meets the Legion of Superheroes ones, but some of them it definitely just feels like, oh yeah, we need to get these guys crossing over. Like there wasn't a lot of thought put into why they're doing the crossover. But I do like the weird stuff when it's good, but I think way too often it's a mix of we can't make any major changes, we just need to do a basic story get it done with and hope that the style or the pitch sells enough like archie meets uh or archie versus punisher excellent archie versus predator excellent but uh like batman hellboy starman not as good as it should be especially with those teams and all those creators on it yeah that one should have been excellent the ball it was dropped so hard i i, I don't I don't go out of my way to read, like, wacky stuff, because, like, a lot of those characters that I like are involved in wacky stuff anyway. <laughs> it's it's nothing different. Yeah. So it's, it's like, I mean, 
what, what can DC Looney Tunes get me that something in you know the Mojo verse when it's done well can't? You know what I mean? Right. Right now we have like a like a Sailor Senshi character basically. So oh like, man. That's a... Yeah, like we have like evil Sailor Moon like in Shatterstar. She's so terrible. Um. <laughs> Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying terrible as in like bad as in like bad character. I'm saying like my the funniest thing I saw on Twitter the other day was like so, like t- like Tim Seeley posted a picture of Grave and someone was like, "Is that like Chibiusa from Sailor Moon?" <laughs> and he said, "I don't know what that is." <laughs> <laughs> no, that was and, pretty good. And I'm like, Tim. If you didn't know what that is, then your artist definitely knew what that was, and it was—it's like pulling one over on you. I couldn't uh, figure out what how you could tell that Grimgrave was Chibiusa versus Sailor Moon because to me they just look very similar. She looks like Dark Lady actually because her hair is pink. Like she looks like the evil version of like Chibiusa, who's a little pink-haired girl. Chibiusa is like a stuff. little, like a little yeah. little girl. But in Sailor Moon, she gets like. She like gets infected with darkness mm-hmm. and turns into dark lady, and she's like this like grown up adult version of her who's evil. But yeah, man, <laughs> bonkers! I can't tell if Grindgrave has actual mouths on her hands or not. Um, what? It's been, it's been distressing me for like a couple weeks now. Um, because she had like she's a smiling executioner, so she puts like her hands up by her mouth to like and they have like mouths either on the gloves or either she has mouths on her hands and i can't figure it out so you know that one's a point of mystery for me still the smiling executioner yeah i'm read i've read that book a lot man (laughs) wait a minute sorry i just pulled that book out because i i do not remember mouths on her hands (laughs) and oh my god yep there they are that is awesome (laughs) dan we could edit that out, but I kind of want to leave it in. Leave it in. Leave mm-hmm. it in. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, that is, to some extent, like, comics are wacky enough. Um, a part of me has always wanted to read the Green Lantern Star Trek one, but I've, I've <laughs> oh, never heard that it's, like, yeah. great. It's, it is fun. It is fun, which it should be. Right. Like, if you did that one and it was terrible, like, you, you're, I don't know what you're doing, because you've it, got so many good pieces. It's a lot of Finding the right people like uh, we covered in what would have been last month, uh, Marvel Zombies vs. Army of Darkness. And there they found the right person for that team because it was like, oh, yeah, no, if you were not good at, like, doing comedy horror and splatter horror, it could have gone bad. Or don't forget the best crossover that we've been having annually for the be- for the past three or four years, Green Lantern, Colonel Sanders. And the other Colonel Sanders crossovers. <laughs> How could I forget? <laughs> a true essential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it is it actually finger licking good? <laughs> yes. I mean, why are the uh, pages greasy? <laughs> especially if I'm reading it digitally. <laughs> <laughs> he has to use the seven herbs and spices as like powers, right? No, he just makes quality chicken. <laughs> Duh, Chris. Duh. Gosh, it's like he, it's quality like is his recipe. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we know who Luke has been bought by before <laughs> jumping into this crossover.
Blood for the chicken god. It's <laughs> in the pocket of big chicken. <laughs> you don't want to see his pants. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, before we go too much further off the rails, I figure we would dip into our favorite crossovers. We would talk a little bit about them and keep in mind that uh <laughs> the running joke on this podcast is hey my sister-in-law listens to this podcast and she doesn't know comics very well so we we need to make sure that we include her <laughs> as much as we can <laughs> she's very she's like wow christy and chris you guys just sound really great i have no idea what you're talking about but it's just really nice to listen to you <laughs> hey you take it where you can get it yeah, my brother <laughs> used to do that too <laughs> my parents nope they do not listen to my podcast they don't know how to download it <laughs> I I try to explain it. I you know I think I feel like they also are just like eh, I'm, as long as he's having fun. Pat pats you on the head. <laughs> You're doing yeah. great, Chris. I'm like You're doing great. I'm like, hey, I uh, I interviewed another another comic writer. Oh, that was cool, Chris. <laughs> no, they're not. They they think it's very cool. I'm being I'm being silly. Um, so uh, Dan, I wanted to start with you because I know your answer and I really want to talk about it. Okay. Uh, favorite crossover, yeah. So I uh, I went with Executioner's Song. And... Stole it right from out under me. <laughs> uh, apologies. It's okay. You know, I I think why this was kind of a personal touchstone for me is like Executioner's Song came out a couple months before I actually started reading X Men on the regular, and um, this was also around the same period where I had become friends with who is the person who is now my best friend, my regular co-host Matt, and you know I was telling. You know, he was like the only person in school that I could talk to about comics at the time. And I was like, yeah, I just started reading X-Men. And he's like, oh, you should, you know, you should have started a few months ago, man. Let me tell you about Executioner's Song. And he's laying all this stuff down on me about Cable and Strife and Mr. Sinister and, and Scott and Jean. And there was a baby at some point. And I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> you know, uh, but I, you know, chose to dive down that, that rabbit hole. And it's, it's this it's this just magical, you know, especially to, you know, impressionable, you know, 13 year old me, uh, continuity buffet of just, you know, seeing all these characters, uh, interact with each other. Some of whom, you know, all of whom really, I was kind of just getting to know, uh, you know, whatever X-Men knowledge I had at the time was really from the cartoon more than anything else. And, you know, it's a lot, but it's, it's not too much. If if that makes sense, and you it know, does. and not and not only that, but I mean, it's also just kind of seeing, you know, this is when the lines finally kind of start to solidify after all the churn of of like Jim Lee and Liefeld and Claremont and all those guys leaving, and now we've got like Andy Kubert and Greg Capullo, and you know, these are the guys who kind of go on to be sort of the artists that leave that first impression on me. Oh man, X Force after right. Executioner Song. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, it's like my favorite like uh, ever yeah greg greg capullo <laughs> doing that x-force art that's greg capullo and fabian nisaza together it's really excellent knocking it out of the park oh it's very good chef's kiss yes yes <laughs> um i only read executioner song recently um when i was a kid i was terrified to get into the x-men comics because i didn't i just never thought like i'd understand it and um it was just really really difficult to get comic books in the places where i lived um, you'd have to get them. You'd have to kind of catch them at the grocery store, um, and they wouldn't. If if I didn't get to go with my mom to the grocery store at X time, I'd probably miss it, 
and then I would have an issue skipped and I had no idea how to get it again. The local comic book store had weird hours. It was like, <laughs> it wasn't open after school. <laughs> you know, wow. a time when a comic book store should be open. <laughs> it's like the haunted comic book store near me. It's not open after school? I don't know when this... I don't even know if the store is open. <laughs> <laughs> it could be closed. We don't know. I told you, it's haunted. I don't know what it's doing. But I read it recently. I was kind of reading it along with uh, Jay and Miles explaining the X-Men's coverage of it. And I feel like if you... I, I wish I would have started with it because it was it was like, hey, do you know kind of a base amount about X-Men? Probably from the cartoon. Well, like, here you go. This is a story you can latch onto and go with. And I felt like that would have been so perfect to seven-year-old Chris that it, it would have been really excellent. And... A lot of people kind of, I feel like, kind of bag on Executioner's Song nowadays. Like, because it, it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty 90s. And I feel like some people have forgotten what made the 90s cool. But just like things like, like panels with Cable where his like skin is coming off and he's like super metally, and Jean Grey and Cyclops having like huge, huge romance times. And the thing where Bishop and Wolverine are just playing cards over like four panels uh, it's it was so good, and I don't know why people people don't like it. I think it's my favorite X Men crossover that I've read so far. To be honest, here's a secret, Chris. Uh-huh. The '90s X Men are actually really great. <laughs> it is really great. It's just the beginning wasn't great. <laughs> exactly, and that's all people ever want to tell you about. That's totally fair. I'm kind of bitter about it. <laughs> I, can, um... I can tell. <laughs> Those those labor pains of 1991-92 gave birth to a beautiful, healthy baby boy in 92-93. Right, until like it. 99 or so. Until, well, I mean, I mean, you could talk about when it dropped off. Um, things obviously happened leading up to the Age of Apocalypse and then afterward. Um, Operation uh, Zero uh, Tolerance. Zero Tolerance, anyone? But, you know, it's, everybody wants to, it's just, I mean... X-Force is my best thing to to, to to kind of talk about because everyone only remembers the first 10 issues, maybe. And they don't think about the rest that went up to, you know, until when X-Static started. Like, yeah. okay, okay, you're going to judge the entire book based on these 10 issues that you didn't bother to read the rest of? Like, cool, keep telling me how the 90s sucked. Like... <laughs> Sorry, I can talk about this for a while. I'm not going to stop on anyone's time. <laughs> well, Dan, you've clearly picked a crossover that we're all ready to defend. Not um, me. I don't. I don't care about those X Men. <laughs> Luke's like, what's an X Man? I'm just yeah. No, I know who X Man is. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Dan, before before we completely derail you, can you let us know the best line of Executioner song? Oh, yes. Okay, so this doubles as my favorite line and my favorite panel. Uh, Cable comes home to Greymalkin after a little time jaunting, and he sees what's been happening. You know, somebody who looks like him shot Xavier, and, and his kids have all been arrested by X-Factor, etc. And he prepares to take down Strife. And so we've got a scene with Cable with, like, eight ridiculous guns and rocket launchers strapped to him, like someone who overpacks for a vacation, or Wile E. Coyote overdoing it at the Acme store <laughs> at the end of a Roadrunner cartoon. And he says, it's time to take him down once and for all, man to man, and quite literally face, face to face. face. <laughs> yes. You know, because they have the same face. And <laughs> it's it's just, 
it's ridiculous, but it's also this magical example of Fabian Cieza and, and especially Greg Capullo, again, the new kid in town at the time, telling Rob Liefeld, hold my beer. Yep. Yeah, you... I I forgot that Rob Liefeld because I I just started reading X Force basically because I wanted to be able to talk to Charlie about Shatterstar and Rob Liefeld liked to draw Cable with more pistols than I thought, but Greg Capullo's <laughs> like nah, <laughs> <Let's>, nah. <laughs> he only has the world's biggest guns <laughs> and doing it superlatively yeah like... the the best guns. All right, well, um, who? so you said your coolest moment was also that, which totally fair. Oh, no, no, no. I, I have a different coolest moment. Oh, you moment. Different, have a different coolest <laughs> yeah. moment. Uh, fantastic. So, but, yeah. but usually we do it in the order of greatest hero. So who's your greatest hero sure. of Executioner's Song? Uh, well, the obvious choice would be Cable because it's his origin story and arch nemesis. But I'm actually going to give this to Cannonball. Uh, oh, yeah. A big chunk of this story is the X-Men and X-Factor not really knowing what to do with Cable's kids and wanting the former New Mutants to, you know, come to their senses, quote unquote. So they let Sam come on their missions with them because he's the most level-headed. But the fact remains that with or without the people, or excuse me, with or without, they, you know, they've grown and changed as X-Force and aren't really interested in being an extension of, of the X-Men. You know, especially Executioner's Song had really great epilogue issues. Uh, if you don't know, Charlie knows, obviously. Uh, but, you know, there's the X-Force epilogue issue where Sam confronts Professor X and is, you know, is basically, you know, uh, James Vanderbeek in, in Varsity Blues. I don't want your life. You know, we see how far he's come as a character. Yeah, I he was really great in that because he kind of has to take on this leadership role, like, especially in in that crossover that it's like been kind of leading up to but it like hits that head just wait chris just wait until when you when jane miles start covering what's happened exactly after like the issues from 19 to 25 of x factor i mean wow x force so good i've started reading them god they're so good (laughs) so uh dan how about that how about that coolest moment all right so uh the whole uh, side plot of Wolverine, Bishop, and Cable meeting up, fighting, and then teaming up uh, is is that is that pure distilled mainline mainline '90s action uh, machismo. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those guys are you know swoller than they have a right to be, uh, especially when Jade Lee draws them in the X Factor issues. Like Bishop towers over Storm, who is the most statuesque of the X Women. It's it's ridiculous uh and and bishop you know we're talking about uh you know dudes with huge guns he was drawn with these guns and i don't know if they're future guns or present guns or whatever but they had like wrist sleeves (laughs) like he slipped his hand into them and you know they're so big they have to have their own ergonomic supports which is you know actually kind of nice when you think about it (laughs) uh, (laughs) hey comfort's important yeah um i i think it was just I can't pinpoint one specific panel or anything, but you know, just those three guys kind of being the, uh, I, uh, Bruce, the Willis Schwarzenegger and Stallone of, of the crossover. Oh, that's a very good way to put it. Yeah. They buy a planet Hollywood in the next arc in uncanny actually. (laughs) (laughs) I would love an expendables, um, kind of homage in X-Men with just like all the muscle gun boys. And then you could you bring back like even like the like very obscure muscle gun boys for cameos. It'd be really good. Like like the thing about the the thing about like you know, X Force does channel that and it's not that kind of energy. 
mm-hmm. um, in the best ways. Like, I mean, Chris, you saw the latest, like, X-Force number two in January. That cover is exuding, ex- like, expendable energy. It looks like they took an ATV and just hit it with a grow ray. <laughs> and then they're all riding on it. <laughs> it's, it's, I saw that and was like, well, I'm glad X-Men Red is ending because I'm going to have to get this. It's the dopest thing ever. <laughs> it is. It's very good. Dan, how about the the patented Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy, in which we love to make fun of villains being goofy or particularly arch or giving us those purple proses? Well, you've come to the right crossover. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, this one goes to strike, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Uh, specifically, the moment where he force feeds Cyclops some kind of gruel and then is basically like, Is this how you sucker a newborn? Is it? Is it? And obviously, the answer is no. Uh, <laughs> um, I have a six month old. Correct. The answer is no. <laughs> Uh, you know, we we didn't prior to this this story starting, we didn't really know Stripe's motivations, <laughs> but uh, it turns out he is is all metal and and melodrama. Absolutely, and, uh, yeah, and and that's competing in the same crossover with Sinister and Apocalypse, who hitherto you know easily had that award. <laughs> um, so yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, is it, it's weird. It's weird that in X Men we can say there's multiple times where someone has been force fed baby food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's so strange. Can we go to Luke next? Luke, what is your favorite crossover? You know, I, I've made a reference to it several times, and I think it may have to just be the simplicity and the sort of utter disposability of the uh unlimited access because it's a four issue mini series it weirdly takes place in no comic specific continuity but also every comic specific continuity because it's a comic where you've got the electric superman and you've got a very specific team of x-men but you're also dealing with access who for unknown reasons keeps having marvel and dc characters swapping between universes he is trying to like figure out why this is going on, and then he starts flipping between universes, running into different people. Like there is a scene where he runs into the two gun kid and Jonah Hex, and ultimately it ends with him confronting Darkseid and Magneto, and he's able to outthink them and outmerge them with all of his powers. And it it doesn't mean anything, but it also means so much, and it's just so weird and it's the last time anyone has seen access <laughs> i'm unfortunately i don't feel like i don't have a lot to to, to add so, to unlimited access i've never read it yeah it's uh hard to find because it was all access was not very good like i mentioned before uh because all access was oh dr strange Train is back and he's merging together the x-men and the justice league and it's very uninteresting because it takes four issues to get to that and the designs are not good but yeah like this is fun it gets all the parts of continuity that you want to see like you get the late genesis superheroes but you also get days of future past and yeah it it's just very dumb comic nerd basic stuff but the more you know the more it pays off, but you also don't need to have like the 
final crisis level of knowledge. Just like knowing the main stories will make it pay off. Well, uh, without further ado, what is the best line in Unlimited Access? So it's sort of a scene where it's uh, two Gun Kid and Jonah Hex who are both Western characters. And Axis is trying to figure out how to resolve the situation. She's like, I can't just watch. These are two of the greatest gunfighters in the world. Just not the same world. <laughs> and he's like, wait, don't. I can explain. <laughs> what? These guys have never seen a man fly, even at an airplane. No way they'll believe I'm from the... And then that's when Two Gun Kid is like, mighty fancy dudge you got there, stranger. Wouldn't happen to be from the future now, would you? <laughs> And Axis is like, yes, yes, I am. He's like, well, then, I assume this here is all a big misunderstanding. Hope you'll accept my apologies, Mr. Hex. <laughs> that makes no sense. I love it. <laughs> well, it, it makes sense in comics continuity because, of course, like, the two Gun Kid and Jonah Hex have seen this sort of thing happen before because it's the Marvel and DC universe. So they'll know robots. So they'll have, like, Superman or the X Men go back in time. And, like, it, it it is the fantastic way of being like, oh, yeah, no, comics are amazing and fantastic, but also very, 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 very silly. <laughs> Fair. So who is the greatest hero of Unlimited Access? Uh, I think it might have to be the amalgamated heroes that they end up making because it is such a weird and good team because uh, i mean you've got red wing who is robin and angel mixed together wonder wasp which is wonder girl and the wasp green goliath which is somehow giant man and green lantern uh thor l which is electric superman and thor captain america jr gene black and then quick freeze which is impulse and iceman Quick Freeze is a very good name. That's really good. <laughs> and, and like all the designs are also very good. I'm, I'm, I'll drop a link in the chat. And if you go to just like look up Access, it's uh, on Multiverse of Q. You can find it. But like all the designs are great. You can see exactly who they are supposed to be. And oh, wow. You definitely can. Yeah. yeah. And like some of those designs are super good. That doesn't uh, happen often. No. <laughs> so many designs are bad. Well, what's the coolest moment of this crossover? I mean, definitely having them amalgamated is very good. But, I mean, you also get the scene where it's Axis fighting a evil version of Axis that Darkseid creates. And so they're just punching each other through all these universes. So there's, like, one where it's Bizarro World, but it's based on Spider-Man. And there's one where it's, like, Jack Kirby's Batman, where, like, Jimmy Olsen has a MODOK head in his stomach. And there's another where it's the Fantastic Four as, like, a Superman team. And it's like, uh, I, I, I only hope this, uh, device counteracts the effects of Blue Fantastonite. It must, read Our, it's our, uh, pal White Winkless only chance now that he's a living totem pole. And there's, like, the Bottle <laughs> City of Latveria. And there's, a uh, Silver Surfer, who's also Streaky the Cat. What? <laughs> That's very good. So the coolest moment is everything? Is that kind of what you're saying? <laughs> like the fourth issue, because that's where you also get the uh, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants merged with the New Gods. Uh, you got Darkseid 
basically being like, stand tall, I will not be bested by someone who shakes in their boots. You won the day! Act like it. <laughs> like, it's something that comes from a person who loves all sorts of comics. Gotcha. Well, uh, does this comic have a Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy recipient? I mean, you do get the Brotherhood of Evil Gods, which includes, like, Calabac and Sabretooth and Scarlet Witch and Lashina and, like, Vermin Wunderbar and Toad. Like, it's a very weird mix of characters, especially with the sort of strange gender disparity that you had in between them. Hmm. So the amalgamation itself is a little silly. Yes. Okay. Fair. But I mean, you're working with what you got, and it's not as bad as what I keep referencing, which is those those very bad ones that came before. And I, I just gotta drop a drop two quick links in there because it's like you think they might be bad, but you don't get how bad I'm talking. <laughs> like you've got I forget who's supposed to be merged with Batman, but you've got like Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, Cyclops, and like Jean Grey. Oh, it's uh, I think Jubilee and Batman. You've got Jean Grey and Martian Manhunter, and it, okay. it's it's uh, they're they're very 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 just awful designs. <laughs> The Jean Grey one is literally, what if we gave Martian Manhunter long red hair? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, and here's uh, Bishop Superman. So, uh, readers, Bishop Superman is is just a whole bunch. At least he's got the mullet. <laughs> it's, just, it's a lot going on. It is. It's so much. <laughs> wow, there's a lot going on. So <laughs> <laughs> is that just a Miracle Man outfit? Mute? <laughs> I assume so. It's supposed to replace the M over his eye, maybe. Oh, yeah. you're probably right. Oh, that's really good. At the time, <laughs> I think both characters had that same long black mullet. Mullet, I think you're right. <laughs> that's all they saw. They were like, hone in on the mullet. It's mullet time. Who is Doctor... Oh, oh, never mind. All right, yeah, it's Doctor Fate slash Strange behind Slash okay. Professor Xavier. Oh, boy. Oh, good. All right, that's, that's a bridge too far. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, Charlie, what is your favorite crossover? Well, Dan stole my favorite favorite crossover. Um, so again, sorry. It's okay. Um, you know, my favorite crossover would usually be something that would involve X Force, all uh, mostly, but that really didn't happen a lot. So I'm gonna go with something that is a favorite of mine in regards to kind of what it did after it was over. So I'm just gonna play it on the line and tell y'all it's House of M. All right. Um, yeah. It is something that we're still feeling the repercussions of, even now. Yeah, that one has not been reversed. And I can name... I can only really name one mutant that actually got their powers back, like, from the actual source of what caused House of M. Like, caused the decimation after House of M. Um, and... I don't know. It, it's just like I am floored by the fact that it is still we're still feeling reverberations from that, like through the line today. Like it, that's kind of crazy. There's a lot of stuff that goes on inside of it that is, you know, reading it now. You know, I I'll have to just tell you like Avengers Assembled was way more problematic, I think, than House of M ever ended up being as far as like Wanda's characterization because I love Wanda I love the Scarlet Witch you know Bendis 
took took her some places, you know, and she's been trying to like kind of drop that baggage ever since. But it was arguably the most important she's ever been. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it just did a lot for like the now defunct relationship of, you know, Magneto and Pietro and Wanda and even Lorna. Like, and it kind of sucks that, you know, retroactively now that was all just like a comedy of error style. Like, <laughs> like we really didn't have to go through all this. Um, but I think it's just like it, it, it did a lot with the X-Men afterward. Like, I'm not a big fan. Like then at that time it was kind of like, wow, this is big. This is something big that happened. Like no more mutants. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that. I, I haven't liked that the other extermination events, quote unquote, afterward. I hated the Terrigen Mist thing. Like, like why did we have to do that? I think we only really needed one decimation, right? We didn't need like to keep rehashing this plot line over and over again afterward. But I think, for what it's worth, House of M had some really cool, like, AU moments. And, like, I love the whole, like heroes not knowing like with one hero knowing what's going on and like having to like tag in everyone else and that's basically what's happening happening for the majority of house of m i think you nailed it charlie yeah (laughs) but uh charlie what's the best line in house of m i mean hands down it's no more mutants right yeah i think i think you gotta yeah (laughs) when i I said best line i was like wonder what charlie is gonna pick for best line it's it's got to be no more mutants. It's iconic. It's one um, page. It's one page, and it does. I mean, it's affected comics for the you know decade afterward. I think that page slash panel is the most recent page or panel to get a like a like an homage in another comic. Oh, do tell. Well, it got an homage in Avengers versus X Men, didn't it? Oh no, that was that was not the panel. It's it's I know it's been done. I think maybe it's been done as a joke, but I think that's like that's like the the most recent iconic panel that I can remember. In Avengers X-Men, which was trying to wrap up House of M mm-hmm. and all of its repercussions a lot of for a lot of it, um you know, it was Hope and Wanda saying no more Phoenix. You right. know, that was kind of a callback to it, but you know, that's still like really just kind of just chilling yeah um (laughs) who is the greatest hero in house of m this one i feel like is gonna be harder uh this has gotta be emma frost oh well we are all big emma frost fans i feel like yeah it it has to be emma frost because she like wolverine's like kind of the protagonist of house of m as much as that is you know at least for the first half but as soon as Emma is brought into the fold, she is the one that is, like, honestly the most tactically sound of everybody. She's the one that's looking out for Layla at all times. Like, you can see her taking care of her. You can see her getting her through, you know, what's going on. Because at this point, Layla's just, like, a scared kid. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't know what's going on. Like, she woke up one day and, you know, everything was different. And, and she was the same. You know, but you can just see Emma, like kind of systematically like breaking down people when they need to be broken down and you know making sure that Layla's okay and you know that they kind of get through 
this whole thing. And I think it just, I think Emma in House of M really like codifies who she is in the books after it through decimation through the utopia era you know through up until i guess in humans versus x-men um but i i do really think that she's the, the greatest hero in the book okay you know not only that this was kind of emma's introduction to the wider marvel universe you know this being like an x-men and avengers crossover i think bendis brings her back in like the very next new avengers arc when um the century is uh going nuts you know not the last time avengers is run but you know she's got that she gets that great scene in civil war like a year later when tony stark comes to the mansion she's like where were you when our babies were burning in genosha you know she becomes a player like right in in that moment that's such a good point that i never really considered before Emma was really an X-Men character before that and for the for the most part didn't really hit outside of that frame. I guess for a while that kind of didn't matter cuz in the 90s like what was the Avengers, right? Like X-Men was yeah. was the king of comics at that point. Mm-hmm. Um but with with Bendis's new Avengers run and pretty soon after that like Avengers starting in the movies I mean New Avengers was my first comic book that I picked up um I'm the only person who um the Marvel or or the Marvel Cinematic Universe actually got into comics I'm the only one um <laughs> I kept thinking everybody else was I'm like oh surely there will be a no oh there are, you actually haven't seen big surges of people wanting comics because Iron Man's popular no oh just me okay just, um, me. just me uh and New Avengers was like the first one I got. And I, I had not, I just remember X-Men being in, to me impenetrable somewhat at that point. And you're right in that, like, that was when like, when New Avengers came on, it kind of started to become like the real flagship book. And so with a crossover with the, with Astonishing X-Men, which itself was like a huge hot property, it. It made it so that Emma could hit this this Avengers world in a way that she had only really been in the X Men world before. So Dan, I think you bring up a really really great point. Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> I, 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 no, I've, I, it's you can tell that I really like talking to like my like smart talented people on the podcast because then they'll like <laughs> say something profound and I'll be like, what? That's so great. <laughs> it's good we all we all we all lift each other up around here it's true what's the coolest moment in house of m oh man um i have two but i think i'm just gonna stick with the one that i think resonates a lot and it has to be when you know uh wolverine kind of gets uh sucked into the underground by cloak and there's a tracker on him the red guard you know he's wearing because he's a member of the red guard you know I think it's got to be when Hawkeye shows up. <laughs> the only time it's the coolest moment ever. I mean, right, he's dead, you know? Right. Oh, I that's gotta... right, he was dead. Yeah. I forgot He'd about been that. dead since disassembled. And, when like, he got disassembled. 
Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. Really, Hawkeye disassembled. Oh, um, and, uh, I fought the urge not to say that. <laughs> um, and you know he was dead, and I can't imagine like that's one of those moments that's like pure distilled like Charlie loves things moments. Like if I imagine like reading like even when I read that for the first time and like and knew about it, like I was still like, man, that's good. It's like that one page spread, like that one page of just you know Hawkeye with like black beneath him, and he's in that co- classic costume. You know, it's just man, man, like, what's going on here, um, type of deal, like, and it's the last page, like, of that issue, um, it's just so good. (laughs) That is one of the things that if you're approaching a lot of crossovers from years after they've come out and you forget the status quo, it, it's so, like, important at times to be like, oh, that's why this is important, because I, I know we covered that, because uh, we did House of M, like, a year or two ago on the... No, like, three years ago? <laughs> yeah, it's like, I I don't remember that at all. But I, I've definitely had other moments where it's like, oh, yeah, you need to check in the continuity and be like, oh, that's why this is a very big thing. Yeah. Like, normally Hawkeye is just Hawkeye, right? Mm-hmm. But... Well, it, I feel like Hawkeye has be has become more has become more awesome as time has gone on. Yes, yes. <laughs> you can thank Matt Fraction for that, and I will. <laughs> as he transitioned from Hawkeye to Hawk Guy, exactly, well, definitely the Hawk Guy. Well, and this series was also their attempt to bring Miss Marvel into the forefront as well. Oh yeah, because oh, yeah. this is where uh, like her Brian Reed series spun out from, and that uh, I'd say that made her more of an initial profile again than the Kelly Sue run because I mean before that she had mostly been dealing with alcoholism and hadn't really headlined a series and like everyone was going after the uh Captain Marvel legacy and so like her spinning out from this with her wizard enemy and Chewie the cat like this was oh yeah no she's supposed to be a heavy hitter yeah, and, like, it's funny, because inside House of M, in that reality, you know, Carol Danvers is the most popular superhero ever. Like, in a in a weird kind of meta line, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that world will soon be true here. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, and oh, yes. that was what made, that was one of those things that made her want to become a hero again. Mm-hmm. Well, Charlie, what what kind of silly villainy are we talking about here? <laughs> There's not a lot. No, um, it is this very is serious. Not, this is not very silly at all. And I feel like this is only really silly if you take it out of its context. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a moment in the first issue where Pietro Quicksilver is, like, they're waiting for everyone to come, like, kill Wanda, right? Um, and, you know, Magneto is standing there with his son at that point, and, you know, he, you know, Pietro's like, you can't let them do this. Like, you can't. And, like, he gets so worked up that he, like, there's this panel that's just him as a blur. Like, and, and Eric is just like, no one can understand you when you talk that fast. Like, and it is, you know, very sad, like, in the greatest line. Because, like, two fan- panels after that, like, Magneto's crying. Mm-hmm. Like, and, but just out of context, it's like, Yes. <laughs> It was the only thing I could really find. <laughs> I really admire you for, for finding something, though. I just remember House of M being very, very serious. 
which is interesting for Bendis. Like, I am shocked he couldn't add, like, more quips from villains. Well, the quips all come from his new Avengers. Right. <laughs> He's they like... all come from, like, they all come from, like, Luke Cage. And, you know, even Spider-Man is, like, oh my god, like, heartbreaking story in House of M and what spir- spirals out of his story after that. Mm-hmm. Like, having a son with Gwen Stacy and then them being erased. And then that universe where it turned out that he was the Green Goblin and he married Mary Jane and then he tried to kill her with the Goblin Glider, but then he decided at last moment that he didn't want to be a villain, so he jumped in front of the Goblin Glider. Uh, It's a whole bunch. (laughs) And like, even like, and especially like Pietro, like Son of M, like the Son of M like series that came afterward where he's depowered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and just down on his like down down on his luck, um, and like basically goes on a Terrigen crystal bender, um, um, you know, you know some of the greatest some of my favorite things came out of that like the beginning of X Factor Investigations like Richter being depowered like seeing him and him getting some spotlight and just like being it's a very real character at that point um dealing with depression like dealing with those things and like him actually getting his powers back like great like it's great like directly spinning out of house of m but i won't yeah i, I, I could talk about that for, for years but i won't <laughs> well i suppose um i'll take center stage now as i talk about my favorite crossover which is from a company that we haven't really discussed in unless you count uh, unlimited access which was from two companies the from dc comics uh we have final crisis which is um a crossover by grant morrison and mostly jg jones but a few fill-in artists uh doug mankey's in there too um so unlike house of m which has a lot of interesting stuff spinning out of it final crisis is like is like very much a definitive ending and i almost feel like it made it very difficult to follow if I had to say one negative thing about Final Crisis, it was I just feel like it was a really tough act to follow. So for readers who don't know, the general plot line of Final Crisis is that the new gods from Apocalypse have sort of defeated all of the new gods from New Genesis. So it's all the bad gods defeating the new gods. And they've taken over bodies on Earth, and they are slowly but surely enacting their plan to unleash what's called the anti-life equation on earth and sort of end the the multiverse based on that the anti-life equation if if you are subjected to it makes you like completely like devoid of free will so it's interesting cuz it's a it's a jack kirby concept in which anti-life isn't death it's like no control over yourself you don't wish to have control over yourself. It's the you were voluntarily giving up all choice that you had because it is easier to be told what to do by the anti-life equation right. than by those who wield it. It's not bad. It's really bad. But there's also another storyline that's going the entire time with the multiverse and how it turns out that the monitors of the multiverse, which is a concept that started back in Crisis on Infinite Earths, are actually like absorbing energy from the multiverse as if they are vampires but then one of them like really is a vampire uh, uh y- y- you talking about mandrak the dark monitor i am and he's li- he like he's so he's a nosferatu boy 
Um, like absolutely looks like a Nosferatu. Um, it's honestly a very difficult crossover to explain, and I'm not looking forward to when we're going to have to do it on the podcast. Because even though I love it, it's just so much. Hit me up when you're going to do that, because I'm also looking forward to that, and I know Devin is going to probably hate it. Uh, <laughs> I'm like staring across at my bookshelf that has the absolute final crisis, the one that came with those 3D glasses. Yep. I have those from my single issues of Superman Beyond. I got in after that happened, but it's like so much stuff happens at that book and there's a lot of stuff you have to read and like read around to get it all. And even then you don't get it all until it's like three in the morning and you've been thinking about it and you just wake up out of your dream and it's like, oh, that's what he was about. I have read <laughs> three different annotations of it to try to understand it that were coming out concurrently with it. When, like um, like comic Comics Alliance mainstay David Uzumeri wrote a really great um, set of annotations but then some other people do and then there's still parts i don't get but it's 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 just a really grant morrison loves to do things on the abstract and it's a really great you don't say the, i don't <laughs> i mean it's like the abstract and then like the like incredibly also weirdly mm. real um like the tattoo man stuff yeah but it's just got it's got a bunch of fun new characters that he makes up like the super young team which is yes it is a teen team from japan <laughs> who've pretty much just kind of wanted to get into superheroing because it was very cool but they don't actually fight any crime until final crisis like they just hang out in clubs um and that's going to lead me into my best line which the best line of final crisis is from like almost the very beginning when the super young team wants to get into this this club the bouncer says stop you must be super cool to proceed your life depends on it <laughs> and then it's not he just it's not like a, a life-saving thing he just says it and it's uh, it harkens back to this flash issue where the flash on the front of it says like stop you need to read this comic my life depends on it and that's also like that's so Morrison it hurts. Like everything's canon to him. Everything. <laughs> I thought you were going to do the one where uh the Batman is like, I have the greatest power of all. Money. <laughs> he does. Uh there's one of the super young teams is like a very obvious Batman analog. <laughs> Most excellent super bat. Most excellent super bat. And he makes like a hard light robot to fight with it sounds like bill and ted came up with all the names of these superheroes they're very japanese in like in like also like japanese but using english words sort of thing okay it's it's hard to tell if it's like morrison trying to spoof on what he understands from culture or if it's authentic because there's also big atomic lantern boy crazy shy lolita canary Shiny Happy Aquazon, well-spoken Sonic Lightning Flash, and yeah, it, it it's hard to be like, is that like people going on what like in the mid two thousands we'd say a Japanese name is like or what? Yeah, yeah, it's like it's it, it's hard. <laughs> when I was reading it this time, I'm like, this is, seems a little problematic in that mm -hmm. in that sort of way. Yeah, they're they're very great characters though. Uh, and I love the way that they, they sort of change throughout throughout Final Crisis. But they also kind of stay the same. Like, at the very last issue, there's, like, two of them. And one of them is like, 
like the end of the world's coming, but like so and so won't know how I feel about him. And then the next panel is the other, is like the the other person saying the world is ending, but so and so is not going to know how I feel about them. <laughs> so things things like that are pretty great. Um, there's a lot of really good lines in this though that I had trouble not picking. Like Green Arrow at one point says like Don't worry, I'll use the anti anti life arrow. <laughs> Um, which ah, is, it's, okay. it's just a goof on his part. Like he's not being serious. Um, but well, that'll lead into the greatest hero. This one's a toughie because Superman literally saves the day like three times. Um, so it could have been easy to pick Superman and it could have been easy to pick Batman because Batman finally breaks his oath to not use firearms by shooting a, like a God bullet at dark side after dark side has taken over his human host. But I'm going to have to go with green arrow. Cause there's this moment in the crossover where they're aboard the Justice League Watchtower satellite. And the bad guys who are called the Justifiers, who are people who have been, they've like gotten anti-life helmets placed over their heads and it makes them, it makes them slaves to Darkseid's will. They're invading and everybody's going to teleport out. They have like kids with them. Like what, like um, the Flash's kids are there and like they have some civilians, but also like Black Canary and Green Arrow are there. And so they're all running in the pod and Green Arrow's like, no, I'm going to destroy the like the the teleporter ray so they won't know where you've been. And but that means he's going to have to stay. And there's a moment where he and Black Canary have a very sweet moment where he calls her pretty bird because that's what he calls her. And then she she kisses the glass and says, like, like my sweet, beautiful Robin Hood. And then he fights the the justifiers and calls them fascists or authoritarians or something. And it's very excellent. And he ends up like just getting overrun because he's, he's, he's only one guy, but it was so good. And I just felt very bad. I mean, he ends up being fine later, but at that moment I was like, no green arrow. Final crisis is so choice. <laughs> so Though excellent. it also is one of those things where you do not want to read countdown to final crisis or death of the new gods. Right. And I I really, I've never read Death of the New Gods and I keep feeling like I have to, but everybody's like, no, no don't worry about no. it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. No, it actively contradicts what's going on. It's more of, I think it was Jurgens who wrote it. Starlin getting, wrote it. Yeah. Starlin being told that, oh yeah, no, you can write the final New Gods story. And it, it's so pissy because the entire thing was Morrison wanted this to be, oh, the New Gods are back now. And instead... They do Countdown to Final Crisis, which was their sequel to 52. 52 is overall very good, but Countdown to Final Crisis is like, oh, yeah, instead of having, like, an all-star team of writers, we're going to have, like, two main writers, a bunch of new people who will barely get credited, and we're going to be switching off creative teams, and we don't really have a full countdown because we don't know everything Morrison wants to do, and it's awful. It was very bad. I read all 52 issues of it like a chump. Me too. I, I read it after I finished 52. Rip you guys. Yeah, rip. Yeah. Um. So I'm going to move on to my coolest moment, which there's too many in this, really. But I'm going to go with the one that I think is completely ridiculous and cool. So the Justifiers put people who are immune to anti-life in a room. So I guess there's not that many of them. <laughs> but they're people who are like, they have like any sort of... I don't know. It's it's explained in a weird way, but they throw in a one of the monitors who is who is like who is like sentenced to live as a human, but anti life doesn't work on him. And I guess it's probably because he's a monitor, but he's also hanging out in there with some guy who is I think supposed to be 
he's supposed to be someone who has a mental illness or something. And he keeps working at a, a Rubik's Cube. And there's another person sitting in a corner. And this is going to get buck wild, everybody. So strap in. You don't ever figure out who it is. It's a someone cloaked wearing like um like a coat and is explaining stuff to this monitor who doesn't know he's a monitor. You see his hands come out and he has monkey hands. <laughs> but they never tell you who it is. I like oh, I'm like I, maybe it's Detective Chimp? No, Metron. No, 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 but Met, Met, Metron Metron's the guy fiddling with the with yeah. the Rubik's Cube, the person talking to him is someone different. Wait, do you think that's Mr. Stubbs? It Nick's might be. Wotan's, uh... <gasps> you might be right. His monkey friend from Multiversity? Yeah. I think you're right. I think we solved it. Oh, we did it. Congratulations, you guys. We solved, we solved Final Crisis. Well, anyway, the, the, the guy <laughs> with the monkey I just want to add, I'm disappointed that it's not Detective Chimp now. I, I, th- I really thought it was Detective Chimp, but I think Luke's got this one. I think it is Stubbs from Multiversity, because Multiversity like, is literally a Final Crisis sequel. Well, yeah, and if you look through, there's so many weird callbacks that there is. Like, in Final Crisis, you have the scene with, like, uh, the Nazi Superman where he's, like, cradling Supergirl. And that same scene is recreated with different details in Multiversity. Yeah. Do you ever feel like Morrison just has his own DC universe that he plans out, and then everybody yes. else just kind of has to mold around him? Do you have to ask? <laughs> it's it's odd. Like Green Lantern is is a Morrison joint coming out, and I I can't wait. Mess me the up. The Green Lantern. The, the Green, Green Lantern. Lantern. Well, anyway, the coolest moment of this is the Justifiers are coming in. I don't know if it's like it's, if it's to, I think it's to execute them all. And after this guy who we now know as Stubbs, uh, we we just know it, um, has explained <laughs> that you can only get a Rubik's cube in eighteen moves. Um, it's called the God Number. It's not even true. It's twenty moves. I looked it up. And this guy who's messing with the Rubik's Cube goes, 17, and holds up the Rubik's Cube, and it blows up all the Justifiers. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the uh, scene where it's like, Dark Side always hated music because Superman, and then Superman sings a note of the song of creation from the music of the Spears that uh, helps to en- enable the uh, wish machine. <laughs> Final Crisis the- is a real trip. What the hell are you guys talking <laughs> about <laughs> it's, it's, it's real weird uh I, you yeah. you definitely need to read it at some point with almost with no context i feel like that makes it better um yeah so my silly villainy is really short because a lot of the villains are are there's some silly stuff but a lot of the villains are pretty dark but the best thing is dark side has taken over a, a regular guy um his name is dan dan turpin who was a he's Sorry. a yeah this is his name he's a he's like a, a detective and he was in the new gods, if I recall from way back yeah. when Kirby was doing it. Well, Darkseid takes him over and he, like he becomes he looks like Darkseid and he's got the Darkseid helmet. But he's still wearing jeans the entire crossover. <laughs> so it's just Darkseid chilling out in like Levi's and a belt. <laughs> Which Dark Cash you can produce uh, a photo fighting. of this for me? Um, I, 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 for the sake of expediency, I will, I will find it for you after we're done recording, but he's literally just wearing some dungarees or whatever. And we already know that Darkseid will show up on your couch and like watch TV or whatever. But now we know that he will just chill out in some jeans while he's ending the multiverse. Like he doesn't even bother to change. I would also (laughs) like to comment that in the DC animated universe, they made Dan Turpin into Jack Kirby. Which is 
It's that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like Dan Turpin just re- he hates superheroes. Like he just he calls them super muckmucks, and he just absolutely <laughs> cannot stand them. And so it's all right. He gets pulled into Final Crisis and like and he like hates it. <laughs> he hates it so much. Okay, um, I found a picture. I will post it in. Thank God. <laughs> it's so much. Well, anyway, I think. We'll wrap up there. We are we're approaching two hours, which is uh, that's quite a bit for for our podcast. <laughs> I'm guessing Charlie Sorry. has just discovered the uh, dark side wearing. Jazz. Oh yeah, it's also the panels of uh, Batman firing the God Bullet. Yes, and then Dark Side says, "Can you outrun the Omega Sanction, the death that is life?" Which is also great. <laughs> and uh, he's just like, "Try me." <laughs> it's very gay. <laughs> Final Crisis is really excellent, and uh, eventually we on Chris's will will try to explain it as best we can, and probably God. do a poor job. Um, well, anyway, thank you to all of you for being on the podcast and kicking off Acts of Friendship with me. It was absolutely fantastic to have you all on. Oh, thank you for having me, mm-hmm. and probably everyone else too. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. This is a blast. It was very good. I all enjoyed right. talking. <laughs> <laughs> It's nice to say words at each other. Yeah. Um, before we go, would, would all of you like to just remind everybody um, who you are and where maybe you can be found on Twitter if you want to be found on Twitter? Okay. Well, uh, my name is Charlie Davis. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Genetic Ghost, where I talk mostly about X-Men, some a good, good boy named Shatterstar, and uh, a lot of things in between um you can find my podcast that i do with my partner mikey called the young ones all about teen superhero teens and why we love them over at young ones cast at on twitter and we're on a little bit of a hiatus right now with regular episodes because there's a lot of stuff going on but uh, we're gonna come back and it's gonna be great and you're gonna want to be there for it yes and I guess your next episode is probably going to be the Acts of Friendship episode, right? Indeed it is. Fantastic. Indeed it is. Uh, well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Daniel P. Grote, uh, or you can check out uh, WMQComics.com or at WMQComics on Twitter and uh, listen to our uh, podcast, WMQ&A, which uh, drops on uh, Mondays weekly. Uh, it has very excellent interviews, everybody, just to let you know. <laughs> and you can see me... On the next uh, episode of the crossover of Acts of Friendship with Zach, Chris, or with uh, Zach from Xavier Files, Chris Osborne from Play Comics, and Mikey from The Young Ones over at my podcast, Multiversal Q, your guide to the comic book multiverse now in podcast form, which you can find at multiversalq.com. Each week we tackle a different alternate universe story. And then next year, uh, starting in January, we're going to be uh, starting our new project where we're going to be doing Ultiversal Q, where we're going to be switching to alternating weeks as we cover every alternate universe or every Ultimate Universe comic, uh, which is going to take over two years. We're also going to do bonus episodes in there. You can also find me at Exab Podcast, which is my actual play, mostly Marvel RPG. Stuff is happening. It's very <laughs> weird. People are going to have to start singing in ships to fly them around eventually. By the time y'all are hearing this, shift, shift, uh, shift ships are wonderful. There's also John Wiki, which you can find at johnwiki.com. And if you go to Nerd Scenarios and look up Radio Hope and the Reader, 
you can find like my very old podcast I did back in like 2013. That's sort of uh, what if a bad superhero, what if a, what if Cypher was stuck on the Justice League satellite and had nothing to do because computers could do his job all the time. <laughs> oh, poor Cypher. Poor Doug. Yes. And you can find me on Twitter at, <laughs> at Coltrick. That's K-O-L-T-R-E-G. Sorry that my brand is so big. No, I'm not. I got another podcast starting next year as well. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Well, you can always find me at Chris's pod or, or the podcast um, or uh, at Chris's pod on Facebook. Uh, you can email me at um, or Christy at Chris is on infinite earth at gmail.com. And next time on this podcast, we're going to be discussing more Spider-Verse. Um, we're going to be finally getting into the meat of the crossover before um, having something very special after that. So uh, you're not going to want to miss that. So again, thank you everybody for coming on and uh, readers. I want you to tune into every single episode of the acts of friendship crossover, because otherwise you might miss something. Yes. Yeah. You got to read it all. Yeah. All the tie-ins. All All the the tie-ins. All the tie-ins. All right. Uh, Oh yeah. Mine's going to have a Greg Land cover. Wait, wait. (laughs) Greg Horn cover. Oh, the same the same cover that I normally have. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, until next time, slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours.